going to be reading in Philippians chapter 4. You can go ahead and flip there, click there, tap there, whatever you got to do to get there. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I want to... I want to share this thought today, and I just want to let you know on the onset that I don't have it all together. Can we just agree that like, there are no perfect people allowed in this room, and we all have struggles, we all need grace, and we all need Jesus, but I'm going to read and hopefully challenge you this morning and encourage you on what I feel like God is sharing and God is speaking. It was funny when Pastor Nate asked me to speak, I told him Philippians 4.10, not realizing that last week he stopped on Philippians 4.9. That's how God works because we didn't plan that. I just had that thought already in my mind. Are you ready for the word? Let me say, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Philippians 4, chapter, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10. And it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Somebody say content. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then the world famous verse, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I'm going to preach today from the title, how to be content. Can we get practical this morning? How to be content. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for everybody in this room under the sound of my voice, Lord. We did not come to hear my voice. We came to hear your voice through me. And so, God, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would speak to your people. Lord God, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this room. And so, God, have your way. Speak as only you can touch, as only you can heal and restore, as only you can. We give you the praise. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated, but not before high-fiving your neighbor. We're one of those churches where we tell you, obviously, to talk to your neighbor quite a bit. As we, as we read this book of Philippians, I want to give you some context. I think context is important. And I kind of want to set the tone for where we're heading this morning. Um, Philippi is the town that this was written to. Uh, it's a very beautiful city. It's a town that is Springfield. It's a fertile valley about eight miles from the Aegean Sea. And uh, I want you to think Napa Valley. So like just beautiful, lush. Um, there's mountains surrounding the city of Philippi. There's gold in the mountains. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a very wealthy, very prosperous community. And it was actually a retirement community established by the Romans. It is not part of Rome, but it is a Roman colony with Roman privilege. And it was populated by bunch of war vets who served in the Roman Empire. And so this is the historical context behind uh, this book, Philippians, which Paul is writing to the church, to the believers in Philippi. Now, what's different about the book of Philippians, and it's different than many other books that Paul wrote, is that there are no rebukes in this book. It's not like he's writing to the Galatians saying, hey, stop listening to false teaching, stop worshiping false God. It's not like he's, uh, he's not rebuking the people of Philippi. Uh, and matter of fact, 
these people are very ordered. Everything is great. They live in a lush community. Things are thriving. Business is booming. There's gold in the mountains. They have everything that they need. They're doing it right, but there's one thing that they lack, and that's joy. By all accounts, they have everything that they need. Very wealthy, very lush. Everything that they need is right there in Philippi, but they don't have joy, which goes to tell me you can have a lot of stuff and you can look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying. And so that's what I want to preach to you today from this concept of joy, because this is the central theme of Philippians. And now when I say joy, I'm not talking about some superficial culture joy. I'm talking about joy within your soul. This is the theme for Philippians. And I'm going to get to a lot of that today. But we see this noun joy, uh, or the, the verb of this word rejoice, used 16 different times in Paul's letter. So Paul speaks uh, of joy in prayer. He speaks of joy in the fruit of his work, what he's doing. He finds joy in it. He, he finds joy in suffering. We see that. And we also see Paul that he, he finds joy even in death. In Philippians chapter one, it kind of sets the tone for the whole book. It's a very powerful scripture. And it kind of sets the stage for what Paul is going to be telling these people. So Philippians one, chapter, uh, verse 20 and 21, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether life or death. For me, this is a powerful scripture, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. In other words, Paul is telling them on the onset of this book that no matter what happens to me, I will live my life in a way that brings glory to Jesus. And if my life is taken from me, I'm going to be with Jesus. You can't win with a guy like that. He's like, if you, if you let me live, I'm going to preach Jesus. If you kill me, I'm going to be with Jesus. Either way, you're not going to take my joy. This is what Paul's saying. So another important uh, element theme of Philippians is the greatness of Christ. We see Paul say things uh, like, like uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see Paul things like God uh, gave Jesus the name that is above every name. He exalted him to the highest place. And so it's important for us to stand th uh, understand this if we're going to be reading about Paul in Philippians, and I want to give you a little context about Paul himself. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Jesus' followers at Philippi, and what's really crucial, and I've left this out and I haven't said it yet, is Paul is writing this scripture from a prison cell. Philippians 4.13, you know it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse was not written so you could score more touchdowns. That verse was not written so that you could ask that girl out and she would say yes. There, I remember an old meme. It was like anyone said anything. It's like, first of all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so jot that down. Paul wrote this from a prison cell. And so it, <laughs> you can hear this scripture and it's really encouraging, but until you understand the context, you don't understand what's going on. So Paul is writing, and he's very uh, specifically for, for Philippians chapter 4. He, he's writing uh, as an opportunity to encourage Christians to suffer bravely, to live in single-mindedness. In other words, to live in unity, have one thing in your mind, and that's Jesus. 
and then to trust their lives to the Lord in all things, say all things, and in all circumstances. So I want to look at this example that Paul gives us on how to be content. It is not lost on me that there are a lot of things going on in the world, and there are a lot of things that you are carrying, and that I am carrying, and that we are carrying together that I can't explain. But I wanna look at Paul's example, and I think it's so crucial for us, and I believe if you allow God's word to speak to you today, you can leave out of here with contentment. You can leave out of here with joy, even in the middle of your circumstances. So I, I, I think that we have a poor understanding of what contentment is. We can equate contentment with nothing bad ever happening. Like, we come to church, we receive Jesus, and then we expect that life is going to be incredible all the time. That's not biblical, that's American. And so Paul is saying, even in the middle of my circumstances, whether good or bad, I have learned to be content. And I want you to understand that when Paul uses the word content, the Greek word that he uses in this text is translated into being strong enough, needing nothing, independent of external circumstances. So here's what I've learned. I can't always control what's going on around me, but I can have peace and joy in the middle of it. I'll say it again. I can't control what's going on around me, but I can have peace and joy in the middle of it. Again, Philippians 4.11 he said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Say content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in one. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I want to give us a look into why Paul is able to talk like this. You see, Paul has been in prison a few times, and like I mentioned before, he's writing this, uh, this text, Philippians, he's writing this from a prison cell, but he's been in this situation before. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to read from Acts chapter 16. It's another story about uh, Paul being arrested. So this actually happened in Philippi. So right now, Phil, uh, uh, excuse me, Paul is in prison writing to the Philippians. This story actually happened in Philippi. So Paul would, what would happen is Paul would usually, whatever city he was in, he would go into the synagogue to pray on the Sabbath to spend time in prayer. But in this city, there was no synagogue because they needed 10 leading Jewish families to start a synagogue. And so Paul had to go outside of this city to pray. There were no new religions allowed in this city. And on his way to go pray outside of the city, he encounters this young slave who is possessed by demons. And the Bible says it happens for a few days. And it literally says Paul got annoyed and was like, come out of her in the name of Jesus. So this demon leaves this woman. Her, her masters, her handlers are freaking out because this woman could tell future, uh, could like predict the future. And remember, she had a demon talking through her. And so it made her masters money. And so now uh, Paul cast the demon out of this woman. And so Paul and Silas get the beat down and they get thrown in to jail, even though they are Roman citizens and it was against the law to beat them without trial. But they're in jail and we pick up in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 23 through 25. Remember, I'm giving you context as to why Paul can say things like I have learned to be content because he's been in this situation before. Verse 23. 
after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Just a few chapters before this, uh, Peter, we see Peter in jail and the angel of the Lord came, the gates opened, Peter walked out and they actually executed the guard that was watching them. So, so it says, guard them carefully because they already know this is a Jesus follower. He's liable to get out. Verse 24, when he received those orders, he put him in the inner cell. So there, he's a cell, in a cell within a cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were in prison, beaten by the way, praying and singing hymns to God and all the other prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas, we see again in prison, they were praying and they were singing and they were lifting up the name of Jesus. So my point to you this morning is even when you experience opposition, when you know your call to something, you can handle it. So Paul and Silas, get this, they're on mission to preach the gospel at all costs. And so this is just a minor bump in the road. So in Philippians, we hear him say, I have learned to be content. And in Acts, we see the reason for his contentment. He's been in this situation before. And even in his lowest of lows, you ever been there in your lowest of lows? He exalts the name of the Lord in worship. Here's my point. Worship makes room for contentment in your life. Worship makes room for contentment. What is worship? Worship is putting your affection and your attention on something. We all do it. We all put our affection somewhere. Worship is putting it on God. Worship is putting it on him, not your circumstances. That's why Paul says, I have learned to be content. So Christian worship is a reorientation of your thoughts. Remember last week, Pastor Nate said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, lovely, admirable, think about these things. So worship is a reorientation of your thoughts and true joy comes from the right perspective about life. This is why you can have two people in the same situation. One has joy, one doesn't. So Paul is saying, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about the stuff, put into practice the stuff. Don't just think about worship, be a worshiper. Don't just think about serving, serve, act like a servant, and you will begin to reorient your thoughts to what you love and what has your affection. So Paul, Paul here can speak of his contentment in any circumstance, in any struggle, and any difficulty, as long as Christ is strengthened him to bear it, and Christ was being glorified through him. That's when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So get this, Paul gains strength. He gains perspective by worshiping God. You need joy? Worship. You need peace? Worship. You need hope? Worship. You need encouragement? Worship. You feel alone? Worship. You feel abandoned? Worship. You feel the weight of the world on your shoulders? Worship. Worship changes your perspective and makes room for contentment. You see, when I worship God, my attention is no longer on what's happening around me. My focus, my attention is on my creator. And so that's why Paul in Philippians 11, he again, he said, I am 
not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content. You see, I'm reading this verse over and over and over again because I really want you to get it. I really want you to understand it. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. Now we're looking back. Remember, he was in prison. He was beaten. This happened multiple times, by the way. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. My hope is that today, when you hear this scripture, you'll understand what Paul is saying. Come hell or high water, beaten, flogged, thrown in prison, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, this isn't a surface level scripture that pretends everything that happening around you is okay. In this situation, it wasn't. But Paul is saying, regardless of what is going on in my life, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul can honestly say that he had learned the secret of contentment with outward circumstances, whether he had little or had much. And here's my encouragement to you. God will not fail. Hear me. God will not fail to give you what you need to strengthen you in every situation. God will not fail to give you what you need to strengthen you in every situation. Let's read on. Acts 16. Remember, we're hearing about Paul in prison, why he has contentment. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas. Oh, I love this. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They are in prison. Just, by the way, just gotten beat. But I don't want to come into worship. It's too early. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, the jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors had opened, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. I want to point this out. This is very important. Paul and Silas were not praying for their escape. How do I know that? Because right there in verse, uh, the last verse I read, he said, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. They didn't leave. Later on, we actually see them say, hey, you can go now. And he's like, no, no, no. They beat us and threw us in jail illegally. Tell them to come get us. So, So Paul and Silas weren't praying for an escape because they didn't make use of the escape when it was offered. So even though they weren't praying for release, the doors opened and the chains broke. And I need you to get this. The other prisoners, they had to have realized something supernatural had just happened because all their chains were loosened after this Paul and Silas midnight worship session. Verse 27, again, the jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Remember, there was a guard that was executed because Peter got out. So he knows this is his fate. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not just you, but you and your household. 
Anybody believing for their household to receive salvation this morning? It says in verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought him into his house, set a meal before them, and was filled with joy. Somebody say joy, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now I want to point this out. Don't miss it. Paul and Silas were not in jail because they casted the demon out of a woman. It may appear that way because they cast the demon out and were thrown in jail. But God had them there to lead this guard and his family to Jesus. The guard would have killed himself. We see that happen when Peter left the prison. Every purpose of God is for redemption. You may be in a struggle right now and I am not minimizing your struggle. But I wanna ask you the question, what is God trying to show you? What is God trying to do through you? You see, Paul and Silas, they knew that the Lord was in this, even from a prison cell, because their focus was on the work of God. Their focus was not on the chains, their focus was on the chain breaker. Their worship, get this, their worship made them ready for what God was wanting to do next. You see, they didn't get distracted. Distracted worshipers would have thought the chains broke for them. Distracted worshipers would be worshiping, singing songs to Jesus. The chains would have broke. This is amazing. I'm out of here. The guard would have killed himself. But when you are a worshiper, your perspective, come on, is God formed, not formed by your situation. This is why, hear me church, I need you to get this. This is why you can have someone who may be in the fight of their life, but you would never know it. God focus. King David, running for his life, has an opportunity to kill Saul, his attacker. He said, who shall touch the Lord's anointed? God focus. This is the reason that three Jewish boys could be threatened with the fiery furnace, but they refused to worship anyone but Yahweh, God focus. This is why Stephen in the New Testament can be stoned for preaching the gospel, but his eyes are fixed on heaven. Somebody say God focus. This is the reason a single mom carrying the weight of the world can pour it out in worship. Somebody say God focus. This is why a teenager after losing his father can stand up straight, serve in church, show up to youth every week, serve his peers. Somebody say God focus. This is why men who deal with providing for his family, the stress of work can serve and skybreak kids and get eye level with the three-year-old and say, God loves you. God has a plan for you. Somebody say, God focus. I need you to hear this. If they would have felt sorry for themselves, we're in prison, life is hard. And again, I'm not minimizing, I'm with you. I am with you. I'll add to that list. This is why someone battling infertility can stand on the front row, lift their hands and say, God, you're good.
miss it. God focus and God awareness help them focus on the mission. Their mission was not getting the chains broken. Their mission was people. I'm trying to elevate your thinking today. I'm trying to elevate your thinking because life is a challenge and life sucks for all of us. We all have struggle. But the key to being content in every situation is to keep your heart mission ready. In other words, know your purpose. Have you been to growth track? We'll help you find it. Paul's mission was people. Paul's mission wasn't getting out of prison. He was there for that guard and his family. This is why. This is why in Philippians, after being through what he was in Acts, this is why in Philippians 4.12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation, whether well-fed, hear it, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Instead of focusing on what's around me, my heart has got to stay locked in on God. And when all hell breaks loose in my life, I am not swayed. I am not knocked off my purpose. I am reminded that God is with me, even in the prison cell even in the heartache, even in my lowest of lows, at the midnight hour, oh, come on, somebody. Some of you just need to worship. Some of you just need to quiet out the noise of what's going on in your life. Get on your knees, put on some worship music, and just lift up the name of Jesus. Say he's worthy of it all, for from him and to him are all things. Acts chapter 16, just to, to finish the story. After Paul led the, 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 the guard and his family to Christ, it says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be relieved. Now you can leave, go in peace. And this is where Paul's like, hold up. They beat us publicly and without a trial. And we are Roman citizens. They threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly? Nah, let them come themselves and escort us out. Remember, Paul's mission wasn't to get out of jail. Paul's mission was people. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They messed up. Verse 39, they came to appease them, and they escorted him from prison, requesting that they leave the city. This is why Paul can say with confidence in Philippians 4, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Can I just sit with you on this this morning? I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to know, that, like to not know the answer. I know what it is to be backed in a corner and not know what you're gonna do. I know what it is to have to trust God because that's the only thing that you can hold on to. But here's my point. True peace comes from knowing Jesus. True peace. I'm not talking about the peace of this world. That's not true peace. Jesus said the peace I give you this peace that this world cannot give, only I can give you. In fact, God's name, Jehovah Shalom, he is the God of peace. Not just that he has peace or that he can bring peace or that he can give peace. He does, but he is peace. Just about 
just about five years from this moment right here where Paul is writing in Philippians. About five years later, Paul would lay down his life as a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter four, one of his last things to ever write. He's talking to Timothy, his successor. And he says in second Timothy four, chapter four, verse five, but you keep your head in all situations. Some of you need that. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then Paul says in verse six, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Just to give you some more context, Paul is facing execution right now. I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. And then he says this beautiful verse, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Y'all, Paul's life was anything but ordinary, was anything, excuse me, but easy. Paul was shipwrecked. He was jailed multiple times. His authority as an apostle was questioned. He was beaten and he ultimately gave his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. God doesn't call us to live an easy life. He calls us to trust him. He does not call us to an easy life. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. It's a, it's a guarantee. I think we all know that we have some trouble in this world, but then Jesus follows it up. He says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. God doesn't call us to live an easy life. He calls us to trust him and true contentment is a God-focused, God-centered perspective that regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of what the doctor said I can't do, regardless of what the report says, regardless of what's going on at my job, in all things, I have learned to be content. Second Corinthians 12. One of my favorite passages of scripture. This is again, Paul. There's a, there's a scenario where he's facing some struggle. There's a thorn in his flesh, the Bible says, a, a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. And so Paul is praying to God saying, God, please remove this. What do you do when God says no? Second Corinthians 12, nine and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecution and in difficulty. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. The key, the key to contentment, the key to peace is focusing on Jesus and realizing that his grace is all you need. That's why, that's why you see people facing the worst of situations, but they can stand here in a room like this, raise their hands, hearts abandoned, and say, God, you are worthy of my worship. Your grace is all I need. And that's why Paul could say, I've learned to be content. And I believe that some of you know of Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. What is this message that Paul considered worthy of giving his life for? What is this message that Paul faced hell? What is this message that Paul was thrown in prison? What is this message that Paul was beaten and flogged and ultimately gave his life for the defense of the gospel? What is this message that Paul considered worthy of giving his life for? The message is this, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son. And if you would just believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message that Paul gave his life for, that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much and wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. God created us for relationship with him. Sin messed it up. By the way, that's all of us. The Bible says in Romans three, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We missed the mark. God has a standard and we can't meet it. Romans six tells us the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, something has to pay the price. And that price, that sacrifice was the spotless lamb of God. Jesus Christ came to the earth, born of a virgin. We're about to celebrate him in Christmas. He came to this life, lived a perfect and sinless life, gave his life willingly on a cross. They did not take it from him. He laid it down. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can come into the presence of God, receive his forgiveness, receive his salvation. And that gap that was created because of our sin is now closed. And I can stand before God the Father as righteous. That's a Bible word for in right standing with God. And when God looks at me because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he doesn't see me for my sin. He doesn't see me for my hangups and my mess ups. He sees me through the lens of grace and what Jesus Christ has already done for me. You can't earn it. You can never be good enough to receive salvation. In fact, the New Testament goes on to say, if we could earn our salvation, then Jesus died for nothing, but we can't, we can't earn it. Romans 10, nine, again, written by Paul said, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. It also says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about how good or how bad you think you are. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done for you by laying down his life, become as a sacrifice for our sin. And when I put my faith in him, I can be forgiven, I can be made whole, and I can have this peace that Paul is talking about this contentment that Paul was talking about and I want to lead you into prayer this morning this is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can walk in freedom we can receive salvation we can have our past wiped away and our sins forgiven because of Jesus Christ and I want to lead you into prayer tonight can we just have everyone stand up this morning 
Everyone stand up. I want to I want to pray. I believe that there's people in this room who are battling right now. The word of God tells us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone opens, I will enter. Right now, Jesus is knocking on your heart. You've heard it. You've felt it. You've experienced it maybe in worship or through this message. It's time to come home. It's time to stop living life in your own way, trying to find joy outside of Christ, trying to find peace outside of Jesus and just receive the free gift of salvation this morning. And I want to lead you into prayer, just like Romans 10 talks about. I want to lead you in that prayer this morning. If you want to make that decision to invite Jesus into your heart, I want to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And if you want to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the beautiful part of this story is that Jesus laid his life down at the mere possibility, the chance that you would love him back, that you would receive his forgiveness. He's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to love him. He gives us a choice. He gives us a choice because he's a God who loves you and he wants you to choose him. And so if that's you this morning and you want to make that decision to invite Jesus into your heart as Lord and as Savior of your life, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to lift your hand so I can pray with you. We're going to pray together as a church family. But if that's you, you want to make that decision for the first time, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. If you want to make that decision this morning and invite Jesus into your heart, thank you. I see it. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else in this room want to make that decision? and invite Jesus into your heart. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, I see it. Thank you, Jesus. All right, you can put your hands down. I want everyone to pray this prayer, whether you've prayed it before or not, pray it to support those that are making that decision this morning. Say this with me, say, Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. Help me to live for you, to serve you, to honor you with my life. Lead me and guide me for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate with everyone who just made that decision? Come on, welcome to the family of God.